This is Florida Matters. I'm Robin Sussingham. Florida's legislative session has been underway for almost a month, and there have already been some big changes, including a new law that allows patients to smoke medical marijuana. We're talking about what the legislators are up to and how their actions will change our lives. William March is a longtime political writer and analyst, now writing for the Tampa Bay Times. Hi, Robin. Hey, William. And Zach Anderson is the political editor of the Sarasota Herald Tribune. Hey, Zach. Hey, Robin. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Okay, Zach Anderson, medical marijuana was legalized by voters through a constitutional amendment, but now the legislature has legalized smoking of medical marijuana. That's been a long road. You recently did a profile of Kathy Jordan and her role in this. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so Kathy is really, the, somebody described her to me as sort of the patron saint of medical marijuana in Florida. She started advocating for this 22 years ago, and public opinion finally caught up with her in 2016. The voters passed a constitutional amendment, but people like Kathy Jordan still weren't happy with it because after voters passed this constitutional amendment, the legislature enacted what's known as an implementing bill to sort of put this into actual law and policy. And one of the things that they did is they said, well, this constitutional amendment didn't mention that you had to be allowed to smoke medical marijuana. And so they banned smoking. They said smoking is not good for you. And Kathy Jordan, you know, she has been growing marijuana and smoking it. She says that it helps her with her ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. It helps her cough and get some of the, the phlegm out of her lungs. And so she was involved in a lawsuit filed by John Morgan, the trial attorney who pushed the medical marijuana constitutional amendment. And, you know, she said that, you know, this is unconstitutional banning the smoking and uh, the governor agreed with her the governor pushed the lawmakers to allow smoking and they and that's what they did earlier this month and then they dropped Kathy Jordan's lawsuit and she declared victory and was very happy about it oh so that was the lawsuit that the governor was talking about when he said he was just going to drop the appeal yeah so she actually won in the lower court a lower court judge sided with her and then the state appealed that ruling, and they say, no, we've banned smoking of medical marijuana. We're going to appeal this. And so the appeal was pending when Ron DeSantis became governor, and he stepped in and said, I'm going to drop this appeal, and the lower court ruling will stand, in which Kathy Jordan was successful. And he had a lot of leverage in this fight uh, with lawmakers. And so they ended up passing a bill, the first bill that Ron DeSantis has signed by governor, a little bit unusual, to allow the smoking of medical marijuana. So William March, the legislative session doesn't end until May 3rd, but you refer to the horse trading that you already see in a legislature. And isn't it kind of early for that kind of, you could call it horse trading, you could call it hostage taking? No, this is about the time that you start to see this. And this is pretty common, Robin. What What's happening here is you have two chambers, the House and the Senate. And the leaders of the Senate will have, or the Senate leader himself, in this case, Speaker Hosea Oliva, will have his priorities. And the Senate leader, President Bill Galvano, will have his priorities and each will want to get their own priorities through the other chamber. So what they do is they hold each other's priorities hostage. And in this case, what you're seeing is Bill Galvano, the Senate president, has a plan for 
major new toll road corridors through three largely rural areas of Florida. One of them would be extending the Suncoast Parkway north to the Georgia line. Jose Oliva, on the other hand, the, the House Speaker, has pretty intense health care changes that he wants to pass that he thinks will stimulate competition. One of them is eliminating the requirement for a certificate of need to build a hospital. Let me let me hold you up right there because I want to talk about both of these issues, um, which are obviously priorities for these leaders of the legislature. Why does he want to build toll roads through rural areas? Is he hoping this will help with economic development? That's exactly it. He, he, he says this will help bring development and prosperity to overlooked, in many cases, poverty-stricken rural areas of Florida. Okay. Now, the certificates of need, I wanted to ask about that. This is a process healthcare providers have to go through to open new hospitals. They have to demonstrate, prove that this area needs a new hospital or mm. a new... Why, a, why is this an issue? I don't understand why the Speaker of the House is intent on doing away with the certificates of need. What do people have at stake here? Well, it's not just building new hospitals. It's building new clinics. It's even adding new services in a, in a particular existing hospital. The idea of it is duplicating facilities will only increase costs because of the amount of money that these facilities cost. But Oliva and many in the healthcare industry say that that all this does is stifle competition and that marketplace competition is what would cut costs. So this is one of a number of competition-stimulating reforms that Oliva wants to pass. Cut regulations, in other words. Yes. Some regulations. Okay. So what other horse trades that you've been watching? Well, those are the, those are the two biggest things. And it's, it's really typical for one house to hold. And, and what you've seen so far is that Galvano's toll road proposal is not moving in the House and Oliva's health care reforms are not moving in the Senate. And it's, and it's pretty clear this is, this is common practice. It, it happens in some way in every session. The two chambers holding each other's priorities hostage to give them negotiating chips. Later as, on. As they, right, as they narrow mm-hmm. down. And these negotiating chips will be used to bargain for other priorities as well. Okay. Zach, let's talk about cleaning up Florida's water. There's been a lot of activity in that corner. The governor and legislators are pledging a lot of money for the effort because there's been so much public outcry about the toxic algae and red tide and the springs. What is actually happening when it comes to actual regulations and fines for polluters? What's actually happening? Yeah, so there's two kind of aspects to this environmental debate that we're seeing over water quality this year. One is funding and the other is regulation. And and the funding part, there seems to be a pretty broad consensus that there needs to be more money dedicated towards helping to clean up the environment. The governor is behind this and the lawmakers in both the House and the Senate have come out with an increased amount of funding for water quality initiatives, things like converting septic tanks to sewer, things like cleaning water and and holding it instead of releasing it out of Lake Okeechobee. Uh, It seems like lawmakers are probably going to go along with the governor to boost funding. The big question, though, I mean, a lot of Republicans are very leery of regulations and increasing regulations, which some folks just view as hampering 
the business environment. And so there's a question of whether there'll be much done to cut down on pollution. The biggest bill that they've put forward so far that has cleared committees in both the House and the Senate would fine municipal utilities for sewage spills, which has been a big problem in cities like St. Petersburg, has had a lot of issues with their sewage system overflowing into the waterways around the city uh, because it was just overtaxed from heavy rains and other issues. So they're cracking down and saying that they're going to fine municipalities a dollar for every gallon of sewage that they spill, or else they have to spend $2 to replace broken infrastructure and upgrade their, their, their sewage infrastructure, which can be extremely expensive. Another issue with that bill is that they would require cities to notify homeowners every time there's a sewage spill to get homeowners kind of mad and, and put some pressure on city officials. So right now, that's the really the only effort that I've seen to really crack down on pollution that's actually moving in either the House or the Senate. Uh, there's been things like septic tank inspection bills that haven't really gone anywhere. So it's something that I'm watching to see if they are actually going to crack down on the sources of pollution or they're just going to clean it up after it's already spilled into the waterways. Well, some of that money could be used for infrastructure improvements, right? I mean, it's hard to see them giving money to St. Peter's. Let's take St. Petersburg as a local example of a lot of sewage spill. But giving St. Petersburg money to improve their infrastructure and then turning around and penalizing them if there's a leak kind of seems like they'd be working against themselves by giving the money and then turning around and penalizing them for the same problem. Right. I mean, the cities, they want like magic. They want the carrot approach. They don't want the heavy stick of, of fining them a dollar for every gallon of sewage spill. They, they say, why don't you give us some matching funds, which the state is going to be doing some of that through other means with uh, this increased funding that the governor is requesting. They're going to be helping with septic to sewer conversions and things, but I don't know if there's any money specifically to help municipalities repair their sewage infrastructure, though. What this bill would do would basically say, well, you got to find that money from somewhere else. What some of these lawmakers say is that the cities do a bad job of prioritizing. One of the lawmakers who's sponsoring this in the House is saying everybody likes to talk about a ribbon cutting for a new park or something like that, but they don't look at pipes underneath the ground because that's you know, it's not sexy. It's not something that the public really gets excited about. And so they want to sort of force people to prioritize spending on sewage infrastructure with this bill. I am surprised that the bill to inspect septic tanks is not moving at all, because I thought that everyone kind of agreed that septic tanks were a big problem when it came to pollution, especially around Florida Springs. And I thought there would be some effort to at least have them inspected every five years, something like that. Yeah, and it's two Republican lawmakers who filed this bill. They're both from the areas that were heavily affected by red tide. One of them is Will Robinson, a Bradenton Republican, and then Joe Gruters, a, a Sarasota Republican, who's actually chair of the Republican Party of Florida and the Sarasota GOP, um, filed this bill. It's a bill that lawmakers already passed once back in 2010, and then they repealed it because of some concerns from homeowners and other issues where you know there was concerns about the cost of these inspections, and this was during the Great Recession, and so there was some pushback against the bill. It really was never implemented, and then they eventually repealed it, uh, and Rick Scott signed that, and then he got a lot of criticism during his Senate campaign last year that because of all these algae blooms that he, he didn't do enough as governor to try 
and crack down on this nutrient pollution and these algae blooms were partly his fault. And so the septic tank inspection bill came back sort of into the spotlight because of that and got more attention. And so I think that might be one reason lawmakers brought it back. But it still faces some of the same resistance that it had in the past where some lawmakers are worried about the cost, especially for lower income people in rural areas. And I'm talking to leaders on the environmental committees in the House and Senate. It sounds like they might still bring forward some kind of septic tank bill, but it's not clear if it will be this one that requires inspections. William, let's talk about some of the other bills that are moving in the legislature. What about these abortion restriction bills? Are those going anywhere? Well, you know, what you look at at this point in a session, Robin, is, as you said, whether a bill is moving. And what that means is whether it's getting the initial committee approvals that are required to bring it to the floor of either chamber. Most bills have to go through three committees before they're allowed to come to the floor of either chamber. Then the same bill has to pass in both chambers. And so what you look at is what's moving and what's moving in the House but has not yet had a hearing in the Senate is a parental consent bill. Florida already has a parental notification law for abortion, but this would toughen it up a lot, require a notarized parental consent form for a minor to get an abortion and apply, I think, criminal penalties for physicians who perform one without that. A couple of other bills that are much tougher, one is so-called heartbeat bill, outlawing abortion when you can detect a fetal heartbeat, and then the 20-week bill, outlawing an abortion after 20 weeks of pregnancy. I believe so far neither of those bills was moving. Neither had had a committee approval yet. Nor the parental consent bill? No, the parental consent bill is moving. Okay. Uh, It's moving in the House, but as of my last check, It had not yet had a Senate hearing. This might be a good time to bring up that the makeup of our Florida Supreme Court has changed. So in the past, when the legislature passed some restrictive abortion restriction bills such as these, they were struck down by the state Supreme Court. Now we've got a more conservative state Supreme Court. It's going to be interesting to see what happens to these kinds of bills if they pass into law. Right. Any of these bills, any of the abortion restriction bills that we've been talking about almost certainly would incur a court challenge. And in the past, similar bills have been defeated by the Supreme Court. Now with three new justices appointed by Ron DeSantis, all of them very conservative, all of them from what's called the Federalist Society, an organization of conservative jurists, there's a strong possibility that those bills would get a more favorable hearing. Zach, sanctuary cities also in the spotlight. You mentioned um, Senator Gruters. Um, He's made this a priority of his in this legislative session. Tell us a little bit about what's going on with the idea of, I guess, prohibiting sanctuary cities in the state. Yeah, sanctuary cities has been a big Republican talking point for a number of years now. It's something that President Trump has really railed against states like California that have certain sanctuary policies. And, you know, it's not really a defined term, you know, what is a a sanctuary policy, but it's basically not fully cooperating with federal immigration authorities. When somebody comes in contact with the law enforcement, um, you know, at the city or the county level, a county sheriff or city police, you know, maybe they pull somebody over for drunk driving and hold them in jail for a night. Sometimes ICE, uh, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, will say, well, 
that person might be suspected of being in, in the country illegally. We want you to hold them while we check on their immigration status for 48 hours. So some jurisdictions don't fully cooperate with these detainer orders, although people say that every jurisdiction in Florida does. But this bill is being put forward by Joe Gruters, the chair of the Republican Party, and it's supported by the governor, Ron DeSantis, and it passed the Florida House last year, didn't pass the Senate. Um, This would define what sanctuary policies are and prohibit any local government from adopting them. And so, uh, you know, the House bill is a little bit stronger than the Senate bill. It actually would punish local officials for adopting these. The the Senate bill doesn't have actual punishment, but it, it does outlaw it in the state of Florida. Yeah, so that's interesting. The Senate version, you know, this is a politically popular idea in Florida um, to ban sanctuary cities, but it has no teeth. Joe Gruders, I think, said, we don't want to be vengeful. Um, William. You- right. The, um, the House bill is tougher. And as Zach noted, the Senate stopped this bill last year, but this year the their milder version of the bill has already gotten all of its committee approvals. It's already gotten three committee approvals. Democrats, of course, are saying that this is nothing but a bit of political theater by the Republicans to try to play to their base, which is extremely emotional and tense about illegal immigration. And the Democrats have at least one very strong piece of evidence. While this sanctuary city bill would ban sanctuary cities, none of which exist in Florida. What isn't moving, the bill that is stopped dead in both houses, is a bill to require employers to use E-Verify to verify the citizenship status of new hires. And that bill, of course, is opposed by the agriculture industry, the entertainment and tourism industry, and the construction industry, all of which depend heavily on low-cost labor, much of it illegal immigrant low-cost labor. So that's a bill that would actually significantly affect the amount of illegal immigration into Florida, and that bill is not moving, whereas the sanctuary city bill is moving. Well, you say they don't even exist, but I think, Zach, weren't you saying this is partly an effort to define what Yeah, they, what, what yeah. Joe Gruder says is that, well, I do think there are some jurisdictions that aren't cooperating as much as they should be. But because there's really no definition of what constitutes a sanctuary policy, it's easy for people to say, well, there are no sanctuary cities. But my understanding is that most jurisdictions do comply with these ICE detainers. But William makes a good point. You know, the E-Verify, a lot of people think that that would be a stronger check on illegal immigration, you know, forcing businesses to really check in this database whether or not their employees are legal, put the onus on the business to not hire illegal workers. And that is not advancing. And and the governor has said that, you know, he still supports it, but he might not be able to push it this year. That was an issue that DeSantis hammered Adam Putnam on during the Republican primary and said that Putnam was doing the bidding of big business and not pushing that bill and that he had thwarted it. And so it's interesting to see him sort of back off of this a little bit and focus on sanctuary cities, which might be an easier lift, but maybe doesn't do as much. Let's move on to education. Public education in Florida could get a big funding boost, according to the preliminary budget, William. Yeah, this is another one of those areas where the two chambers differ and will be negotiating and horse trading as the session nears its close. What's happened is the the two chambers have each released their own budget proposals, and the Senate's budget proposal has a very substantial increase 
in education funding, about $1.1 billion increase to $22.2 billion. That's a pretty substantial per-student increase, about $350 per year per student. The House proposal is significantly smaller, $21.6 billion, and uh, this is an area where the two houses, the two chambers are going to differ. Okay. Hot topic this year is the idea of vouchers, scholarships uh, for students to go to private schools or religious schools. Now, Florida's been doing this for a while. What is different this year? Well, what's different this year, Robin, is that this is a bill that for the first time would allow actual state revenue to be spent on vouchers for just average kids, not handicapped students uh, or special needs students of any kind. In the past, the money to fund the, the vouchers, they call them scholarships, has come from tax credits. Corporations could donate money for these for this purpose rather than paying that money in taxes. The new legislation would allow the state to spend its own money directly on this. And, and again, this is going to be just as you brought up with abortion. This, again, is going to almost certainly, if it passes, uh, result in a, a challenge to the, to the now more conservative Supreme Court, which has rejected it in the past. Another thing that's interesting, a Republican state senator has brought up legislation that would increase the oversight of schools, of private schools, that receive public scholarship money. Right. The private schools and charter schools don't have to go along with the same testing regimen that traditional public schools do. And there are a lot of other oversight issues that charter schools and private schools are exempt from, even if they receive state aid in the form of vouchers. Uh, And this has been a significant argument for years by public education advocates against the diversion of state money to charters and private schools. So Republicans are now considering a piece of legislation to try to answer that objection. Zach, Amendment 4 is getting a lot of attention. Yeah, I saw the Washington Post uh, wrote about this recently. This was a huge issue during this last election cycle, automatically restoring the voting rights for most ex-felons. A lot of people really looked at this as sort of a racial justice issue and that basically not automatically restoring voting rights for folks and making them go through this clemency process that people saw as very opaque and and just taking way too long uh, was a way to keep people, especially African-Americans, from voting. So when they changed this, when the voters changed this, it was viewed as a massive reenfranchisement and also as a massive uh, civil rights issue. And now the legislature gets a crack at it, just like they did with marijuana. They're, They're passing an implementing bill. And there were some questions about whether they needed to do this. The people who pushed for Amendment 4 said it's it's really self-implementing that felons uh, other than sex offenders and murderers automatically get their voting rights restored when they've completed their sentence. Well, lawmakers are now weighing in and saying, well, we're going to define what it means to complete your sentence. And we're also going to define sex offenses and offenses related to murder. And they've defined these in ways that are broader than what the Amendment 4 advocates would like to see. And there's concern that this is going to prevent quite a few people from voting who Amendment 4 advocates say should be able to automatically get their voting rights restored. So this Amendment 4 passed by a lot, as I I recall. And it did seem pretty clear. But, you know, it's funny because now 
I guess part of this legislation has to do with paying restitution and fines. Right. Um, William. Right. Well, as Zach said, this is getting a lot of attention nationally because Florida politics gets lots of national attention. And this bill or this amendment is something that could swing one of our famously, notoriously close elections. And it's it's a hotly racially tinged argument because it primarily it affects disproportionately black voters, African-Americans. And because the the Florida law that says felons permanently lose their right to vote is, in fact, a relic of the Jim Crow era that most states, all but about six or seven, have now abolished. Most states have some form of fairly quick and easy restoration of, of civil rights, including voting for people who finish sentences for felonies. It is catching a lot of national attention, some national notoriety. They're calling the House bill that requires paying the the fines and fees. They're calling that a poll tax, which, of course, is a a phrase reminiscent of Jim Crow. Poll taxes were once used to try to prevent black people from voting. Uh, They're saying that this is an attempt to re-implement Jim Crow policies. A person, uh, probably the the person right at the center of the hot seat on this is Tampa legislator, Representative Jamie Grant. Uh, I've just interviewed him recently on what he's doing and why he's backing this bill. And he says that even the advocates of the measure, of the amendment, even they acknowledged before it passed that it would include repayment of restitution fines and court fees if those court fees are included in the sentencing document. So he says that that he's merely doing what they represented even in their arguments to the state Supreme Court when they were arguing for the amendment of the Supreme Court. He's saying his bill only reflects what they represented uh, the amendment should, should include. But it does make sense when you think about it. That is part of your sentence. That's the question is that it's not always part of your sentence. They want you to have to pay back court costs. Like let's say you had some kind of drug offense or you're on probation and you had to get a drug test uh, and then you have to pay for the lab costs of that or whatever. And those are not necessarily part of your sentence. You know, uh, restitution, like if you steal something, then – a judge can order you to pay restitution to the individual or the store or the business that you stole from. That is part of your sentence. Court costs are technically not always part of your sentence. And so there's a question of, well, if you're forcing people to pay back court costs, is that was that really what the amendment intended, that they had to pay those back before they get the right to vote if it wasn't explicitly ordered as part of their sentence? We've been speaking with Zach Anderson, the political editor of the Sarasota Herald Tribune. Zach, thanks so much. Thank you. And William March, longtime political reporter and analyst, now writing for the Tampa Bay Times. Thanks for being here, William. Glad to be here, Rob. That's it for today's show. Florida Matters is available as a podcast. It's another great way to listen whenever it's convenient for you. Search for it wherever you get your podcasts or go to our website, WUSF.org, and click the Listen tab. Florida Matters is a production of WUSF Public Media. The engineer is Craig George. The producer is Stephanie Colombini. I'm Robin Sessingham. Thanks for listening.